Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stale is the nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Stale happens when you leave cheese too long and it turns moldy and it's not Roquefort. Stale happens when you have milk, goes sour, you smell it. You know, not having taste or smell makes it very difficult to know when something's stale. So I have to go by date officially. And sometimes you can fudge that a little bit, but when you can't smell it. Stale. The debate that happens in Major League Baseball is a very simple one. Do you want to go into the playoffs like the Dodgers, having won your division by 75 games, having clinched on April 7th, having had the best record clinched and home field through the World Series since May 68th, or do you want to go in where you squeeze in by the skin of your teeth, you clinch the second to last day, you then go right into wild card series, you go the distance in the wild card series, and then you start your next round. There were major discussions in Major League Baseball when coming up with the playoff format about the concept of teams being stale. And owners don't come up with that on their own, of course, team presidents, I didn't think of that. You come up with it when your GM comes up to you and says, listen, we need to have this workout and that workout, so get the stadium uh, workers there, turn the lights on, turn the air on, close the roof, open the roof. We're going to do a sim game. We're going to have live at-bats. We've got to stay fresh. That's what I'm always told. I was always told that. We got to be fresh. And to be fresh, you have to work every day because baseball players get into a routine. The routine is you wake up at 2 p.m., get to the ballpark at 3 p.m., you have batting practice, you do the game, you eat your ice cream, you go to dinner, you get home, go to bed at about two in the morning, and then wake up. That's the routine just about every day. And when you lose that routine, the thought is that you could become less sharp, more stale. So yesterday we had the beginning of the American League and National League Division Series, which is a best three out of five. So the first team to win three games wins. And the off days are funky. And remember, they're funky because of the lockout. The entire 99-day lockout that took place God knows how many years and months ago because we can't remember it. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. It doesn't exist according to Major League Baseball or the players, and I get it, and I love it. 
However, the timing was such that the season got delayed. They still wanted to play 162. So they moved the postseason around. By doing that, they cut off days. Strangely enough, the American League opened their series yesterday, and now they have an off day today. And then they play on Thursday, and then they have an off day Friday, but then they play Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which means there could be a situation in theory where you have the Mariners and Astros, should they go five, playing in Seattle games three and four, no travel day, get on a plane, get to Houston, play game five the next day. Not ideal. Pitching staffs are going to get taxed. So going into yesterday, the thought was the Dodgers could be stale, the Braves could be stale, the Astros could be stale. And we started watching the Braves. They're down 7-1. to one. Max Freed hadn't pitched in 10 days. He's probably going to finish third, second or third in the Cy Young. He's their ace, had a phenomenal season, and he just was not sharp. The Braves were not able to come back and lost a game to the Phillies, who are the opposite of stale, having beaten the Cardinals two in a row, 3-0 and now in the postseason. And their lineup looks deep. Their defense looked fine. Castellanos had a great catch. But forget the recap. The fact of the matter is the debate is raging. So we go to game two yesterday, which is the Astros and the Mariners. And I'm watching and I'm looking at the Astros lineup, and I'm slightly concerned at my pick of the Blue Jays to go to the World Series. I'm not sure the Blue Jays are good enough to beat the Astros. (laughs) That's my thought. That in this five-game series, the Astros clearly are a better team, better lineup. They've got Verlander on the hill. He is going to win the Cy Young Award. That's Justin Verlander, not Ben Verlander. Justin Verlander's on the hill. And like any ace, he looks only okay in the first inning. Gets out of it with just giving up maybe a run. And then all of a sudden, he gives up more runs. And I'm thinking, is this possible? Is Justin Verlander about to lose a game so the Astros are down one nothing, which means they have to beat the Mariners three out of four times. Totally doable to win the series. But the Mariners have their ace going, their new ace who they acquired, Luis Castillo. Never heard of that player. He's a some player. I don't know what organization he came from. He came from the Reds. And before that, I can't remember when or where. And he's pitching the game two, which is tomorrow. And the off day made it so Castillo can pitch this game, having pitched in the first round. So cut to, if the Mariners win this game, they have a chance to win two in Houston and then go home for two, and beating the Astros is a real thing and a real possibility for the presumptive favorites maybe to to win it all or to certainly win the pennant if the Blue Jays can't. So I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking about being stale and about what these GMs have said to me, and I'm wondering what the players, how long it takes Does it take an at-bat? Does it take two at-bats? A couple innings. And then I realized the debate that I used to have, here's how it went. When they would ask me, the president, the GMs, hey, we need a workout. We got to do extra work, et cetera. My thought was, isn't it better to give your body a break and give your mind a break? Because my thought coming from the front office was always based on studying and school and projects and briefs and papers. The law of 
The law of diminishing returns is a real thing mentally. If you've ever been studying for an exam and you say to yourself, I have to cram, but there's nothing I can do right now. It's better off just to stop. Some people in school will study up to the last minute. Were you the type who, as they're handing out the exam booklets, you're looking at your notes one final time? Hey, what year was World War II again? Something, and you think, all right, that'll be helpful. Four out of five dentists surveyed all said the same thing. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes you just stop and you are where you are. And if by osmosis or maybe you paid attention or maybe you spoke to someone who said something that will somehow click when the exam starts, something happens. I think you can all relate to this or you're doing something for work and you come to the decision, I can't do more tonight. Don't we all decide that when our workday ends? If you don't work straight nine to five, and you have to decide every day when to go home or when to stop working, when to stop studying. It's a different decision every day. Pretending you don't have a specific time you have to be done or a specific place you have to be every single day so you can get into a routine. The point is, when you don't have a routine, you make that decision each day what you're going to do, when you're going to stop, when you're gonna give your brain a break. When you're in a routine, that decision's taken away from you. You know every day you've got to pick up your child at 5.20. In order to do it, you have to leave at 4.59. At 4.59, you're out the door. Hard stop, period. It takes the thought out of it. Your brain doesn't have to have that exercise every day where you're deciding whether you've hit the law of diminishing returns. Baseball is very much like that. Baseball is very routine-based. And when you're not in the routine, it allows you to totally decompress. So the example is an off day from work or you don't have to pick up your child or you don't have to go make dinner. Whatever you're supposed to do or do do every day, when you don't have to do it, it sort of frees your mind and your body and that's called recovery. It's why when you're training for a marathon and there's some crazies who on off days in a training program, they still run or they feel as though they have to or they're gonna lose their shape. Or during the taper when you're training for a race, when you've run big miles and then you're supposed to run shorter distances the last week or two before a marathon, they say, oh my God, there's no way I'll be able to run the marathon. I only ran eight miles last week and not 20. It's all the same. So I would argue, I want these players to rest. It's not about being stale. This was always my thought. Then 2003 comes along and we clinch playoffs on the second to last day of the season and go right into a series against the San Francisco Giants who had clinched their division in May and we beat them three games to one. But we lost game one. So it wasn't about stale. It wasn't about who's hot and who's not. At the end of the day in the playoffs, the better team is going to win the majority of the time. In a one and done game, I will not say that. In football, at playoffs, I rarely say it because anything can happen on any given Sunday. It's like a game seven, like last year, the Suns and the Mavericks, when the, when the Mavericks blew out the Suns in Phoenix in that game seven, when they won by 70 points or something, anything can happen. So I'm watching the Astros game, but the Mariners are winning and the Mariners are going to win this game. In the, seven, in the eighth inning, it's seven to three. 
The Astros are down two. Bregman hits a two-run homer. Great. You're excited. Now you're only down two going into the ninth. What are the odds that you are going to score three runs in the ninth to win? Like the Cardinals did this week when they scored six, when the Phillies scored six runs to beat the Cardinals in the ninth inning. It's rare. It's like Halley's Comet. I went to a place this past week, by the way, Coca. I forgot to tell you this. Haley was a guy, was an astronomer, and he worked out of Greenwich in England and did a bunch of stuff as they were mapping stars and figuring out time. And there's a picture. I think his name is, is it Sir Edmund Haley? Anyway, he's got himself a comet, sort of like Elijah Wood, which is cool. Do you know the Elijah Wood reference about comets? Is there any chance? Coke, are you with me? Hello? Nothing. Okay. Jordan Alvarez. He hit a walk-off home run. The Astros won the game. Not a big deal. You're jumping. You're excited. It's the coolest thing ever. And then the stat came out that blew my mind. How much would you bet when you're told by your PR guy every single time, hey, you think that's never happened? It's happened. Anytime you see something in a baseball game that you think has never happened, it's always happened. I assumed a walk-off home run happens a lot in the postseason when you're down with two outs. Apparently only once before in history. The Kirk Gibson 1988 home run off Dennis Eckersley, it was two outs, they were down a run, and he walked off the Oakland A's. It hadn't happened since and hadn't happened before. Jordan Alvarez is now with Kirk Gibson, which is one of the most iconic home runs. Of course, that's a World Series. This was a division series. But if I had told you that only once before had there been a walk-off home run with two outs down more than a run, it's hard to believe. Maybe just down a run. Down a run. So, do you remember I've told you about pitching? And how we make our decision before the game starts about who's going to pitch when. When Jerry DePoto, the GM, president of baseball operations for the Seattle Mariners, was talking to Scott Service, who is the manager for the Mariners, when they got together pregame and mapped out their pitching, did they have last year's Cy Young Award winner, Robbie Ray, who they signed to a free agent deal this offseason? Did they have him coming in and pitching against Jordan Alvarez in the ninth inning? Yes. You think that it was a hunch by the manager to bring in a starting pitcher whose bullpen day was yesterday. What a bullpen day means is after you start, you take a day of rest the next day. Then you pitch a bullpen. So you often see in the postseason starting pitchers who started a game five, they come in and throw some innings in a game seven because the theory is it's a bullpen and they're supposed to be throwing some pitches anyway. I always said to our manager, that makes no sense to me because a bullpen, there's no one watching, there's no one hitting, and the intensity is not game action. When you put a pitcher in in game action on his bullpen day, you are risking lack of performance. Of course, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes you have Josh Beckett. Sometimes you have Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray throws a fastball to Jordan Alvarez, strike one, fouled it off, missed it by a quarter of a millimeter of a centimeter. And when a batter does that, two things happen. Normally, the batter gets out the next, that at bat. And normally, the pitcher doesn't throw that exact same pitch the next pitch. 
Robbie Ray threw the same fastball, and Jordan Alvarez said, see ya, I'm going to hit it 480 feet, and I'm going to walk off the Mariners, and they're going to be despondent beyond repair, and the series is going to be over. That happened yesterday. History against this former Cy Young winner, the defending Cy Young. He's not going to win it this year, but he's still defending until they name the winner this year. Until Verlander wins, until Verlander wins this year, Robbie Ray is the Cy Young Award winner. Raining. What a loss. So after the game, you go in the clubhouse with a loss like that. I've had quite a few losses like that. And it's very simple what you do. Nothing. Do you know that it's the same thing that you do when you have a win like that? When you win like a game like the Steve Bartman game, which I don't want to call it that, but you may know it as that. But game six of the National League Championship Series. When you have a win like that or a walk-off win in the regular season that's so out of the ordinary because you come back let's say you walk into the clubhouse you shower you get dressed you leave it's the same thing when you lose Robbie Ray there were a bunch of pitchers and this is where I had a problem with the Mariners and the leadership there were a bunch of players sitting on the bench after the game staring into space as though they had just lost game seven of the World Series on a walk-off This was game one when all you need when you go into a series and the first two games are on the road for your team, you want one win. And you've got your ace going the next game. You walk to the clubhouse, get dressed, and get ready for the next game. That's it. You do not let your players wallow. Now, generally, players wallow for a couple minutes, then they go in and they go to dinner and they're going to be fine. But you have an off day the next day. You don't give a team speech. You don't get everyone together. You don't say, hey, guys, we're going to recover from this. You don't do any of that as a GM president or manager. You move on. And you've got to get your players off the field, get them dressed, and say, see you tomorrow for batting practice. That's it. So the Astros are up 1-0. The Braves are down 1-0. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But you'll hear about it again. The Astros up one nothing, and the Braves down one nothing are still going to win their series. So Mariner fans, I'm sorry. Philly fans, don't prematurely celebrate the victory while you got the split that you wanted at a minimum by winning game one in Atlanta. I am not at all confident that they'll win the game. So that's a wait to see. Hey, remember we were visit wait to seize, like I said 10 seconds ago? Remember yesterday? Do you have memory of yesterday when I didn't tell you that the pick of the day was the Dodgers, for crying out loud? But I did tell you that Draymond Green is going to have an epiphany and he'll be back for the regular season. That whole punching Jordan Poole thing. The Warriors announced that Draymond Green will be back in practice at the end of this week and he will be ready for the regular season. They are not going to suspend him They are simply going to find him. So when I have two players fight, there has to be a suspension when there is video like that, when there is something that happens inside your clubhouse or locker room. And Steve Kerr said something when the fine was announced that was interesting to me. He said, we feel like this is the best way after assessing everything for us to move forward. It's not going to be perfect. This is the biggest crisis that we've ever had since I've been coach here. 
It's really serious stuff. I'm not sure why I'd have my coach say that when we're finding the player and he's going to be back playing the regular season game because the message is, hey, we got games to win. We have a title to defend. We're going to say it's serious, but we're not going to act like it's serious. And this isn't a case where behind the scenes there's something more going on. The fact is they met with Draymond, as I told you they would. They met with Poole. They did a team meeting. They had Draymond and Poole meet together. But the fracture that exists, that punch was thrown for a reason. And we don't know what it is. Unless you are inside the clubhouse, you will never know what it is. And even if you get a player to leak what the beef was, that player is leaking the agenda of the player whose side he's on because when something like that happens, every player takes sides. There is no Switzerland in a clubhouse kerfuffle. Nobody. So everything you hear, you have to take with a grain of salt. Everything you hear, you have to say, hmm, is that true? Is that not true? It's sort of like how we do Twitter and news now. You have to think, who's the source? What's the agenda? But it was confirmed by Steve Kerr saying this is the most serious and the biggest crisis I've ever had since I got here. This is a team where Kevin Durant and Draymond Green caused a divorce of the best player in the country to leave the Warriors. Or did it? Maybe that wasn't such a big crisis after all. But the Draymond Green situation was a way to see that we got right. Teams, when they get together, you put a team together on, on the hope that you've put together the right pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, that they'll come together, they'll play for each other even if they don't like each other, that you'll get a lot of lucky breaks on the way, no pun intended, and that you will have a successful year. Whether you're the Cleveland Guardians with a payroll of 50 or the Yankees with a payroll of 250, every front office has the same view. The pieces we have in place, we are good enough, we are strong enough, and gosh darn it, people like us. What we never count on is self-inflicted injuries. Self-inflicted injuries happen in two ways. They're physical and they're mental. A mental self-inflicted injury is when there is consternation in the clubhouse. There's something that goes on with the music. There's something that goes on with where lockers are located. It's not physical, it's mental, and it causes a bubbling up of tension that has to be addressed. And that can leak onto the field. The physical injuries that happen that are self-inflicted make me insane. David Robertson of the Philadelphia Phillies will not be playing in the division series because he was celebrating a home run that Bryce Harper hit and hurt himself. Are you out there, Chris Coughlin? Horrific. We tell our players, come on. You got to be smart. There's a player who plays for the Houston Astros. His name is Phil Matten. M-A-T-O-N, Matone, Matten. He's not playing for the Astros. He's a part of their bullpen, would have been on the roster. He punched a locker after an outing that he wasn't happy with. He broke a finger on his pitching hand, and he's done. He had surgery. I was incensed. How many shows have you heard me talk about players who do something to themselves off the field? I don't mean straining a hamstring, running to first. I don't mean separating a shoulder, diving in the hole at shortstop. 
I mean when you do something that you could have avoided, but for your stupidity. It's not an accident. You cannot call it an accident. When you do a big scrum and you're throwing water bottles on each other and you're jumping around and you're hitting a player on the back and you're tapping helmets and you get hurt, that's not an accident. When someone's having a post-game interview and you run up and throw pie or throw Gatorade or whatever you're going to do and you get hurt doing that, that's not an accident. When you're angry with yourself and you destroy the clubhouse and break TVs and have to pay for them, of course, or do something with your bat, with your shoes, and you get hurt, that's not an accident. The number of times we've told players in the past, do us a favor, scream. We'll give you pillows to punch. Find a way to release your anger that does not endanger your ability to help us win the next game because there's going to be a next game. Even if it's a game seven that you lose, there will be a next game in a few short months. Every season, there are injuries. Do you remember the Milwaukee Brewers pitcher? Remember how angry I was that their setup man, the Josh Hader, the guy, Devin Williams, remember when he fractured his hand? and took him out, and all he did was apologize meekly. Now he's the closer for the Brewers on his couch. You never know when you have the opportunity to win a ring. Whether you're the Dodgers or the Guardians, you don't know. Don't screw it up by being stupid. I want to celebrate walk-offs. What the Astros did after Alvarez hit the walk-off, it was an amazing celebration. I love it. I'm jumping around. I'm screaming. But who cares if I get hurt? I've always asked the players to do it in a different way, and it's never worked. How many more injuries is it going to take for players to celebrate differently or to take out their emotions differently? I'm just curious. So if you ask me which one makes me more angry, it's clear. It's the celebration one. You thought I was going to say it's the punching the locker one or punching the top of the dugout. The reason why it's the celebration one is that that's bad news coming after good news, which ruins the good news. When it's bad news coming after bad news, which is what happens when a pitcher hits something out of frustration versus celebrating a walk-off or something good, that's bad news after bad news. It's already bad news. It's just worse news. But when you've got the great news of something great, And then all of a sudden you get the call from the GM who got the call from the trainer. You go from happy to DBR, despondent beyond repair. So think about for you, which would be worse for me, it's simple. Don't get hurt celebrating. Come on. Okay. Oh, we have a lot to get to, Coca. Uh, We're going to take a break. We're going to review a movie when we come back called Don't Make Me Go. And then we're going to talk about something uh, that the Padres did that has been tried by teams before uh, and does not work. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? I still watch movies. movie. During the postseason, there were four games yesterday, and I still watched a movie. And a movie that I saw, which was interesting to me, because anytime you've got a father-daughter situation, uh, I like it. I've got two daughters. I have a son. And anything that can give me a clue as to how to be a better father, obviously being more present would be a good start. Obviously not choosing work over family, that would be a good start. But any time that I can watch a movie where I can say, oh, that's a good idea. Why don't I do that with my child? Don't make me go as that kind of movie. It's a movie that stars, do you remember John Cho? He's been in a bunch of great movies, uh, Harold and Kumar. He's a very good actor. And this is a movie where he and his daughter are forced to go on a road trip because the father is dying. Spoiler alert, the father's dying. And then it's about what happens on this road trip. And obviously the name, don't make me go, the daughter doesn't want to go because that's what happens when you haven't done the rebar. Rebar is what you put in a building before you pour concrete that makes the structure sturdy. And if you don't have rebar, you can do anything you want. And that thing's crumbling like John Cougar Mellencamp. So when you don't have the right rebar, the wall crumbles. There was not the right rebar in this relationship. The daughter didn't want to go. She's forced to go. She does go. And then there's a series of events that take place. Don't make me go is not getting enough attention. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but caveat, I internalized the whole thing. So if you don't have daughters, or if you're a good dad, or if you are confident that you're a better dad than I am, then you may not enjoy the movie as much as I did because it may not strike a nerve. It's not that it's the best writing or the best acting of any movie I've seen this year, but it did sort of do the operation when you take out the thigh bone and, you, and the red nose lights up. My red nose lit up during this movie. It's called Don't Make Me Go. All right, Coca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Sam. So you want to talk to Samson. Hello, Dave. Let me just say, it's a good question. I'm answering it. I'm David. I guess there are people. I think Lebetard is the only one who calls me Dave. Hello, Dave. Why so angry about Padres wanting Padres fans at their games? That's a short but sweet question. Now, what am I talking about? The Padres released yesterday. They're playing the Dodgers. If you don't know geography, go back to school. But San Diego and Los Angeles are close enough that you don't fly. You take a team bus when you're playing the Dodgers and the Padres on a road trip, and you put drinks on the bus, and movies are on the bus, and you put card tables so the players can play, but you don't fly. It's that close. The Padres are the team that have this absolute desire to take down the Dodgers. They have the inferiority complex, textbook inferiority complex. And they made it worse. They made an announcement that all postseason ticket sales that go to verified fans, right? They get to go to Padres Insiders, which are season ticket holders. They get to go to the public. There's verified fans where you, you know, let's say you're part of the fan club. But they limited it to certain counties. Because if you don't live in certain counties, or in the affirmative, if you do live in certain counties, any tickets you have to the postseason for games in San Diego, 
your order has been canceled. I thought it was impossible. I cannot believe MLB is letting them do this. What, they want to get a better home field advantage? They want more Padres fans? I wanted to do this every day with the Marlins because I didn't want Mets fans. I mean, I wanted their money, but I wanted people to cheer for the Marlins because the players, would after the game, I'd be almost embarrassed to be in the clubhouse because they were like, hey, that's an extra road game. And they'd say that. Hey, we got to bat last on the road. The postseason is a different type of game. If you don't have enough fans to fill your stadium during the postseason, there's a far bigger problem. Even the Marlins had enough fans during the postseason against the Yankees when we were winning against the Yankees that we would out-cheer the Yankee fans who were in attendance. When the Yankees are winning, the Yankee fans would out-cheer the Marlins fans. That's how it goes. It doesn't matter what the percentage is. It matters what happens on the field. The Padres should be more focused on taking care of business on the field versus trying to manufacture who's going to be in the stadium. It always backfires. You're going to control. What are you going to next? Hey, you wear a Dodgers jersey. You're not allowed in. If I see you cheering for the Dodgers, we're kicking you out of the stadium. Not allowed to do that. If you have a sign that says, go Dodgers, we're taking away the sign. Not going to do that. If you stand up and clap when Cody Bellinger hits a home run from the nine hole, we're kicking you out of the game. Not doing that. If you dare live in Southern Orange County and want to come to a game, sorry, no tickets. Oh, wait, you're a Padres fan living in Dodger country? Doesn't matter. Your tickets are canceled. Are you kidding me, San Diego? MLB, you've got to turn that frown upside down and change that policy. You cannot allow a team to do it. Players see this. They say to themselves, I cannot believe we have to do that type of discrimination for a playoff game. A home playoff game for the first time when, Coca? How long has it been? 2006? Has it been like 16 years or something since the Padres hosted a playoff game? And the players are sitting there with Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Will Myers, not Eric Hosmer. It's ridiculous. So the answer is this. Why am I angry? Because it never should have been allowed. Hard stop. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. I had the Dodgers over the Padres last night but I forgot to say it on the show. Coca had it on the rundown, but I didn't say it on the show. I'm still 116 and 90. Some of you DM'd me at David P. Sampson on Twitter, David P. Sampson on Instagram, and said, hey, where was the pick? It was Dodgers over Padres. All right, what about today? Can we talk about the Dodgers for a minute, by the way? Can you imagine your GM, Andrew Friedman, who's one of the best in the business? You let Kenley Jansen go in free agency to Atlanta. You bring in Craig Kimbrell, who was Atlanta and now is on the Dodgers. And you leave him off the postseason roster. You go with closer by committee. Here's a newsflash, folks. In the postseason, 
every team is closer by committee. Quick, who closed the World Series victory for the Los Angeles Dodgers during COVID? Hurry up, Coca, get in my ear. Do you know who it is? The same guy who started game one last night. He was not their closer. As a matter of fact, Jansen was struggling in 2020. Quick, how good was Ugether being on the 2003 postseason? Any blown saves? Yeah. Pitchers are so tired by the end of a full 162-game season that every team goes closer by committee. The real story here is Craig Kimbrell did not make the roster to even pitch in the seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, fifth inning, up 10, down 10. There were 12, 13 pitchers better than Kimbrell. That's a tough conversation to have with a veteran. Very tough. Have those when you're making up your postseason roster because all they want to do is be on the postseason roster. That is a major, major story in Los Angeles. So, of course, last night, the Dodgers beat the Padres 5-3. We get a nothing personal pick of the day victory that doesn't count. And the Dodgers trotted out four pitchers to finish up the game started by the guy who closed the game in 2020. And they didn't give up a run. All right, the picks today, we have two games in baseball. Phillies-Braves game two. I think the Phillies are going to sweep, even though the Phillies have... We got Kyle Wright going. He won 21 games. He's the most winning pitcher in baseball this year. Ah, wins don't matter. Who cares? Yes, they do. The Braves will not lose twice in a row to the Phillies at home. Braves over Phillies. What about the Padres-Dodgers? Will the Padres sneak in a win? Can Clayton Kershaw possibly perform against you, Darvish? Is Clayton Kershaw the three-time Cy Young Award winner, the postseason brilliant failure? who rebounded with a couple good starts. The Dodgers are just better than the Padres. Hard stop. Braves over Phillies. Dodgers over Padres. Those are the official double pick of the day to make up for the fact that we didn't get the Dodgers win yesterday. All right. I want to update you on a couple stories now. I love doing this as part of nothing personal. It's one of the things that is important to me. As we develop this show, as we approach, we're a week away, Coke, I believe, from our three-year anniversary. One of the things that's important when you have a show like this, the continuity of the show, the fact that Coke and I are better today than we were, you as an audience are more engaged today than you were day one. So many new people to the show. But one of the things that we do here on Nothing Personal is we like giving updates, so often, and this is all a part of my, maybe my law background, maybe just my curiosity, when there is a lascivious, prurient, horrific accusation. Tom Cruise is gay. That was always the example that was used over 30 years. Page one, right? It's, I have no idea. I hope those days are over. Who cares who's what? Just be you and let people be people. There'd be a lawsuit filed. The publication who made it up, there'd be a retraction. That would be on page 40. Page one was the story and people remember the original story and forget the fact that the story was wrong. And that still happens today. You hear someone talk about something, you hear a story, and there's never any follow-up. And the follow-up doesn't get the same attention as the original story. Well, I got three for you today. 
One, the story of Eric Kay as the Anaheim Angels employee who gave drugs to Tyler Skaggs, who overdosed from fentanyl, choked on his vomit, and died at a team hotel. Eric Kay, the employee for the Angels, erstwhile, was sentenced to 22 years in prison yesterday for his role after a jury found that he caused the death. His actions were causing Tyler Skaggs' death by overdose. Eric Kay is going to be in jail 22 years. 48 years old, get out when he's 70. Federal guidelines, minimum was 20 years the minute he was convicted. This is on the heels of Joe Biden letting out people in federal prison for marijuana. This is in addition to the Sackler family not spending one day in jail or losing $1 even though they settled for a billion dollars. They're the ones who came up with the opioids, with Oxycontin, the addictive Oxycontin, who lied about it. They're not the ones who came up with fentanyl, but it is mixed with the drugs that the people get addicted to. I've been thinking long and hard about Eric Kay, the things that happened over 22 years. I think about it in terms of a client who I represented in law school named Wilson Diaz. Wilson Diaz was charged with attempted murder, convicted, I handled his appeal, his sentence was 12 and a half to 25, maybe. And I thought about after I lost the appeal, the fact that all those years that he was still in prison and he tried to kill his wife, didn't succeed. That's why it's attempted. Spends every day in a little box. I am very hard on crime. I try not to put my personal views into the show in a way that is anything other than subtle. But I had a hard time with this sentence. Tyler Skaggs would be alive if he were not addicted to opioids. If Tyler Skaggs did not get the drugs from Eric Kay, he would have gotten them from someone else. I understand the role that drug dealers play I understand the role that cigarette makers play. I understand the role that beverage companies play. Does anyone get mad at Seagram's when people die from liver disease? Eric Kay is gonna be away from his family for 22 years. He did not do right by Tyler Skaggs. Don't get me wrong. Tyler Skaggs is dead because of his addiction to drugs whether a jury found that he was dead because Eric Kay gave him the drugs, I always thought was the wrong question. I want punishments to fit the crime, but so often, including the case of Adnan Syed, which we talked about last week, and there's an update here as well. So often, when there is a victim, there has to be someone to blame it can't just be circumstances or luck or the fault of the person who dies the Adnan Syed case was a woman an innocent woman who got brutally murdered her body left to be discovered Adnan Syed was in jail for 23 years 
and the prosecutorial misconduct was significant. Last month, we told you that he was let go when the prosecutors said, we're not sure that conviction was done right. Meanwhile, people have been saying that for 20 years. Finally, they agreed. And I told you that doesn't mean that Adnan Syed is off the hook. It doesn't mean that he's free because the prosecutor, hi, I'm David. Hold on. Hi, my name is David Sampson. All right, I just did the test. Do you know what a stroke test is? I mean, for those of you with anxiety, you'll know what this is. When you think you're dying, raise your left hand in the air, smile, stick your tongue out and say your name. Hi, my name's David Sampson. And if you can smile and do all those things, then you're having an anxiety attack and not an actual stroke, which in theory should make you feel better and lower the anxiety. And I'm feeling that right now. The reason I'm bringing this up, it has nothing to do with the show, but this entire show, and I'm just being honest with you because you can't see it unless you're on YouTube. My palms are totally sweaty. I've had crazy chest pains. I've been up. I have not been sleeping well, and I'm dripping with sweat. And this is an, an attack that I'm, cur- I'm literally currently having while I'm talking to you. And the more I'm talking about it, the worse it's getting, and I wanted it to become better. Hold on one second, Coca, one second. I have no idea what that just was, folks. I don't even know what we were talking about, Coca. Will you go to the document or tell me what we're talking about, please? Syed, Syed, thank you. Uh, the Balt, <clears throat> what is going on? Okay, wipe this in, four, six, nine. Adnan Syed was set free a month ago, but Baltimore, the prosecutors could still have retried him. Yesterday, they decided not to retry him. He is now a free man, and with the rules of double jeopardy, he can never be tried again for the murder but one thing that has not been discussed properly is the family of the girl who died at 19 years old. They want closure. And now they feel as though that the person who they thought did it is free. So in the back of their mind, are they saying, wow, maybe that person did not do it? It is such a complicated criminal justice system that we have. And it's all based on not all. It is mostly based on the principle that a crime when it is committed is by definition a crime that impacts somebody else, either financially or physically, sometimes mentally. And the best way to recover, whether it's with retribution, whether it is with time in prison, whatever it is, whatever the sentence is, specific performance, can be something where you have to do what you said you were gonna do. It's all supposed to help either the victim or the victim's family. In the Adnan Syed case, do you think right now Baltimore's gonna get back to work on a 23-year-old or 25-year-old case, try to figure it out, relook at the evidence? You think that any jury is going to convict someone of this murder going forward? It's not going to happen. The family will spend the rest of its life 
not knowing, trying to convince itself what was true, what wasn't true, not getting closure. Do Tyler Skaggs' family have closure because Eric K is in prison? Does the family of Ms. Lee not have closure because Syed is out of prison? We can't think of it in those terms because it doesn't work that way. The last update I have, how much more time do we have, Coca? Oh, we're out? Is that okay? I had an update on Brett Favre. That story, he's, he's got a problem. Can I just say quickly, Coca? I'm not gonna get to it tomorrow. Brett Favre has all these text messages out about how he knew what was going on, that money was being spent, that he should not have been spent to help the athletic department in Mississippi. We did a whole story about it. Doesn't Brett Favre have attorneys? Brett Favre came up with a statement because people are crushing him. And he said, I've been unjustly smeared in the media. I've done nothing wrong and I am setting the record straight. And then he set the record straight, which is idiotic. He said, no one ever told me and I did not know that funds designated for welfare recipients were going to the university or me. Horse hockey. Brett Favre, you knew, and now you can have that used against you if you're ever called to testify in a civil suit or in a criminal action. Do you have anyone representing you? This was a strange show, folks. It's just business. This is nothing personal. 